You're listening to The Drums TV Talks. I'm Hannah Bowler. And I'm John McCarthy. In this series, we're going to explore all the new ways that brands can advertise on TV. From the classic ad break to the weirdest branded partnerships you could possibly imagine. We'll be speaking to the top TV exec, media owners and ad tech firms helping to bring about the future of TV. Thanks for listening. Hello, Hannah. We have reached the end of the series. How do you feel? Mixed emotions, John. Mixed emotions. It's been a whirlwind, I would say, some would say. Although, now I think of it, there's not been that many lows. So is it mixed? Or has it just been a great series too? We've had a many a guest. We've had Sky. We've had the sponsors of Love Island. We've had Samson Ads. We've had Channel 4. Yep, uh, it's, it's been great. Yes, it has indeed been great. And uh, this is the final episode of season two. So we had to think, what is the best way to wrap things up? And as it is coming to the end of the year, I think the best way was to just bundle of reporting on the trends and streaming this year into a single digestible, podcastable format. Isn't that right, Hannah? That is right. Yeah, I think it's good to just recap on the last year because it has been a very, very interesting year in streaming. Probably like one of the most interesting for the ad industries, I would say, just based on, I mean, streaming, overpass, linear, huge, big event in terms of views. Um, But also Netflix got ads, which is probably the biggest news that's happened to the streaming ad industry, I'd say ever. Yeah, I've been waiting for this moment for many years. uh, I've received those emails from those ad tech companies that we've spoken about who have been trying to coax us into existence for a very long time, all for Microsoft and Netflix to be partners rather than them. But uh, yeah, Netflix is ad-funded now. Wow, what a turnaround. And it's cheaper than a pint in your local pub. Wow. Depends where you live, to be honest. It's creeping up to £7 here. That's London. Although I was in Glasgow on the weekend, and actually, the Scots, it's not as cheap as you would have if they'd have you believe. It's the nice places where we have the English people visitors that we fleece them. And those just so happen to be the places that I drink because I'm a media reporter, editor, man. And I like a fancy place filled with English people. So, Hannah, enough small talk. People aren't here for the small talk. They're here for the hard talk, the big talk. What can we expect on the coming episode? What are the biggest trends in the future of TV? Well, actually, I was kind of going to take a step back before we get into the kind of specifics. You're shaking your head. I'm going to take you a step back. I just think we need some overall scene setting of the year because the kind of biggest overall thing that happened, I'd say, is that advertising like AVOD platforms really became kind of the the big thing and the big preference and it's not just Netflix. Uh, Disney Plus is going to get its own ad platform as well and then we've had Peacock and Discovery Plus who have kind of like gone out with a subscriber-led model and then have subsequently kind of introduced ad light options. So it's kind of been a year that's been I guess a return to advertising in a kind of market that has been really about subscriber models for all this time. So I think that's the scene setting I'm going to give you before you jump in. Well, thank you for setting the scene. Uh, I'm sure the readers, but not readers, the listeners, appreciate the context. 
Yeah, I like to think of 2022 as the year that the streamers matured. Um, they realised that they aren't going to achieve that constant growth. They realised that the world is a bit of a turbulent place and not everyone has the disposable income to pay for content that is increasingly being spread across more and more platforms every day. Netflix, when it launched, was the one place to go for a lot of the best originals, um, or at least it seemed that way. But, you know, we do feel like their slate is weakening. Other players are up in their spend, and if you want to watch all the best TV, you're going to be really spread across more services than you have any right to be able to afford. Yeah, and also, I mean, you talked about content spend, like the economics just don't add up. I mean, some of the content spends are just like silly money. Like Netflix was 17 billion in this year. I think Amazon Prime's was like 13 billion. And although Disney, I can't remember what the broken out for Disney Plus is, but Disney's overall content budget is like 33 billion. Like that's just mental money, guys. Absolutely crazy. And you can't like pay for all that purely on subscriptions alone. Like you've got to have another revenue to sustain that level of cash. It's true. And that's where uh, diversification and having other business approaches work. We know that Amazon is a commerce giant. It can invest a billion dollars in a Lord of the Rings show, uh, which I thought was fine. Imagine all of that money being invested in fine. This is a multi-season commitment. It will get better. Stick with it. But uh, the very first day I subscribed to Amazon Prime to watch it, I spent £150 on random rubbish. So, uh, you know, that's how you get your billion back. Uh, For Apple TV+, Plus, which uh, I was quite soft on two or three years ago, didn't think it was going to take off. And, you know, within that time, there's some of the best drama about. haven't watched all of it. I'm an Android guy, but I have it on good account. Yeah, that's obviously there to keep you subscribed to their hardware. Uh, I think you get a free year of Apple TV Plus every time you upgrade your device or something along those lines, uh, which is, again, similar to the Amazon Prime model. Uh, the likes of Comcast and things, they obviously sell broadband and all the sorts of things there. And the TV packages are just a way of helping to bundle the, the tech. And then you've got Netflix, which is investing all these huge amounts of money without the side business until now. Mm. Um, left them very vulnerable. How do you think their new side business ad revenue is going? It launched two weeks ago, so three from when this episode drops. It's been very hotly anticipated. I'd say, you know, border on too much. We've written probably too many stories. Hey, if people keep people keep reading them, we'll keep writing them. Um, yeah, there's been a bit of naivety around how quickly you can spool up a massively successful advertising business from almost nothing. You know, this is going to take multiple years, not quarters, not six months. It's something that the Netflix board and investors are keeping a very close eye on, but it isn't going to move the dial anytime soon, that's for sure. Um, Netflix subscriber numbers are going to fall, and this is more of a safety net to catch them on the way out rather than attracting people in, in my opinion. And for it to be of any sort of scale worth actually talking about, they're going to need hundreds of thousands of people in. Um, And even then, that's a global audience. So there aren't a lot of brands that can actually or need to speak to a global audience at one given time. Now, you can hone in on UK and US audiences, but uh, what size are we talking here? And is it bigger than the broadcasters and things that a lot of these guys are already spending with? Um, Who's it for? Don't know. We'll find out. 
Yeah, I think you made a good point as well in terms of it's like the version that we're seeing now is nothing like it will be in the future. And I think they've been kind of, they've tried to make that point clear to advertisers and users that it's like, this is so they could launch super quick. It's not going to have any of the functions that I guess it plans to have. And I mean, there's still so many gaps in terms of what it should be offering advertisers. I know obviously it took them a while to just say what measurement partners they've gone with, which is double verify and integral ad science, but it's quite basic um, measurement. It's, so those were based on kind of if, if an ad's been spotted. So in terms of all other types of you know met- metrics that advertisers have been calling on from the main broadcasters, that's not going to be there at the beginning. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what other measurement they can offer advertisers. There's also quite limited brand safety, which I like what I spoke to a few advertisers about who were quite cautious in terms of their types of shirt and their types of products going out around some of Netflix more controversial. It's obviously also got quite basic brand safety protections in place at the moment. So I think it's kind of based around the area or like the territory and the certification, I think, and a few other aspects. But beyond that, the categories and stuff is all quite weak. So I think time will tell if they can kind of ramp up their brand safety. So that was one aspect that's kind of waiting to see. And I guess more inventive ad formats we're kind of waiting on. It seems quite typical pre-roll, mid-roll, but I guess good creative, but it seemed like it's still quite conventional for what I think you'd expect from Netflix at this point. I think they really have to gatekeep the creative they're running. It has to be on a similar level of quality to the shows. The second that starts feeling invasive, it's just done. Um, we're at this experimental stage right now. You know, Netflix was the service without advertising. I think a lot of people gave it a pass on some of its content because it was uninterrupted. And the second you start interrupting some of that B tier and C tier content, you're going to lose people. But again, it's all opt in. It does give people who can't afford the main service another option, and I'm all for choices. Um, on the brand safety topic, I think. I feel multiple ways about this. I think Netflix is a very brand-safe place to be, like compared to most of the open web. It's all premium video, no matter which way you look at it. But in the UK, it's been very exciting. Uh, Barb have obviously started launching ratings and viewings and how many people are watching at any given time. And it may well be that everyone's just watching Netflix for uh, serial killer documentaries, which ain't what advertisers are after. That early Barb reporting has has shown some interesting things. I think the last thing that I read was 300,000 people watched all 10 episodes of The Crown the night that it came out, which like actually is quite huge. So, like, I mean, for the, for the UK and to sit and watch, I think it's 10 episodes and they're like an hour and above. Well, sorry, let me interrupt you, right? That is insane. But can you imagine watching the same ad for a brand? How many times in that 10 hour window? Because obviously they don't have a huge a lot. They don't have a huge amount of brands bought in right now. They probably haven't nailed frequency capping. Uh, you know more about the volume of ads per hour than me. But if that's the same ad ten times during a binge, first of all, that will be annoying in the moment. 
and the, the binging environment as well. Is that sort of the place that's conducive to remembering a brand, an ad, or whatever the brand wants to say? Half the time, I can't even remember what happened in the episodes I binged because it all blurs together. Don't know. Well, it'll take time to work out if that's actually a good place to stick your brand, especially at a premium price. I do. I feel like I, I'm not sure. I can't speak for Netflix, but I have heard um, kind of there being an aspect of like binge model, like a binge reward kind of type rollouts. I think Hulu might do. I can't be sure. Where it's like you kind of get once you've watched a certain few episodes, you might be, like, rewarded for, like, less ads to complete the show. That's, that's a very clever way of them framing. They don't have enough ad variation to show you for your binge, and it will just mm. put you off the entire service. That's not a reward. If they had the brands, I'm absolutely sure they would vary that up. Uh, but as I say, it's, it's very early days. You and I have been speaking to the UK broadcasters quite a lot, and all of their advertising development roadmaps they're like yeah we'll launch this service in 2027 uh, after five years of work and consultation you, you can't just launch an ad business like in the space of six months you can't do it uh, so brands want to be associated with the netflix uh, brand i think it's a great place to be it's an audience that have been missing in many regards from broadcast and they're gonna have to be forgiven uh, we talk about price. No one actually pays the price. You know, is it 65 CPM, $65 it was? But like, yeah. no one, don't pay that. Come on, negotiate, man. Also, that was a kind of controversial, or not controversial, but when that that figure was so flouted about, but I feel like it's kind of in line with other streaming launches. Like I think HBO Max, Peacock, when they started, they would have all charged similar price to that. But obviously that's under the assumption that's a launch price. And then over the months, that comes back down because you just get kudos for being first into a service. So I think the $65 was kind of probably in line with what other streamers would have charged. Where I would interject there is, a, you know, HBO, whilst it wasn't a streamer before, it is a brand that with a history of advertising, you know, and a void of trust. They weren't forced into advertising by the shareholders, you know, like, they've earned those $65 and uh, Netflix has to prove that. Anyway, let's move on. What's next, Hannah? Well, I thought it might be interesting to just chat through ITVX's launch, which... Okay. What is ITVX, Hannah, for anyone outside the UK? Why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? To be honest, I actually feel like it's a big deal for not just people in the UK. I think a lot of international... I think around the world, people will kind of be following this model because it's quite an interesting one. So ITVX is basically UK broadcaster ITV kind of changing its catch-up service, so ITV Hub, into a streaming service that will resemble a kind of Disney Plus-esque look and feel. And instead of it being based on going on to watch, like, catch-up on TOWIE, you basically go to ITVX to watch a film. I couldn't think of any films off the top of my head that I was like, what are films? What are films indeed? It, it, so instead, of, so you're going on to like browse and find shows and it's like loads of acquired stuff, loads of premium stuff and it's less that thing of, I'm going to catch up on this morning. 
I don't think I described that very well at all, but I hope you got me. No, you didn't. And I'm coming in right now to try and clean this up. Oh, yeah, please mop Wish up me luck. Me. It seems to me that you have the linear service where everything's live and it's sort of more analog style. And that's the mindset that people turn on their TV for. And then in the digital space, you have the, if you're logging into an app, the mindset is to catch up, right? That's what it's always been. Now, ITV have realized that that is nonsense and converged both habits. As you say, the linear streams are on the app. Also alongside some pop-up channels, I believe you say, so they can pop up whatever they want. There's going to be a World Cup channel, all sorts of things that you'll just engage with. But the, the beauty about these uh, logged-in users on the app is that they can be reached in a dressable manner uh, using uh, programmatic advertising. And that's very different to the linear stuff that we we know and love. Isn't that right, Hannah? Did I do a good job there or did I just do a second bad job? I think a lot better than me just saying I can't remember what films are. So that was good. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for taking over. I jumped it. Yeah, so ITV is an ad-funded business. They've launched this new app and it's called ITVX, which the shrewd people among you will realise that an X is just a plus on its side because we can't launch a streaming service without a plus in it somewhere. Uh, And the interesting thing about this was as Netflix launches an ad-funded business, ITV has opened the door to subscription video. It has, but it's actually a lesser part of ITVX than I initially thought. I thought when the announcement first came out, I think me and you both thought that this was going to be really marketed as a streaming, as an SVOD platform to subscribe to. But whether or not it's changed within the course of this year or it was always intended to be, the free element and the AVOD part is the strongest and that's what they're promoting. I went to the Palooza last night and the word free and ad-funded. What's a Palooza, Hannah, for our readers who don't know what a Palooza is? A Palooza to Electric Boogaloo. Um, It's a big ITV showcase event where they talk about the year ahead and show loads of content and you get to walk a red carpet with um, lots of people from TOWIE and Love Island. The fella from Celebrity Juice. Uh, yeah, I saw him. People Alison from Hammond. Alison Hammond. I like, we, we like Alison, star of the latest Sainsbury's advert, Christmas advert, I believe. Uh, so you were amongst the stars just last night, and I was in a field playing football in the rain. That That is the case. But yes. what I learned from that night is that ITV really want it known, really want it known, that this is a free AVOD service and... The subscription part is so minimal. I don't even think they're really going to promote it. It's just going to be in there somewhere that if you want an ad-free option, you can pay. But the split of what they're projecting people will use is... I rate. I rate. Jimmy Hill stroke my beard, as I said as a child. Don't know why. I think Jimmy Hill has a big chin, actually. Um, It's like, have you ever been to the Edinburgh Festival, Hannah? The free shows? where they give you your free show and it's brilliant, and then they say, thank you for watching. If you like this act, we are taking donations at the door, a minimum of £15 exit, you know. Uh, that, that little upgrade, that little subscription option will be there during your entire time, and they'll want it, and you'll want it. Funnily enough, the, the worse the ad experience gets on these streaming apps, the more likely you are to pay to escape it. 
Uh, I've, I've had that on YouTube. I've had that on Spotify. It's an interesting friction there, isn't it? Yeah, I'm kind of like, I'm so, I'm so torn. I'm so, I'm, I'm torn. Don't be torn. I, I'm torn in terms of what ad load I can put up with and how I budget. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be really jarring to have ad loads back on things. I just can't decide. Well, luckily for us, you don't have any say in how many ads ITV are going to give you. We'll keep a very close eye on this in the coming year. Uh, it will be They'll probably be leading the way in UK broadcast on how this diversification move into streaming goes. Although it's sort of something that Channel 4 have also sort of pushed this week as well, Hannah, isn't it? Uh, this weird streaming linear, doesn't matter. We're all the same. Come and watch us wherever you want. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And like the two feel like they're doing ITV and Channel 4, feel like they're just running this a bit in tandem in terms of who's coming first with very similar aligned strategies. So um, it's been interesting to follow and it seems like they think that they're doing the right thing. So, I mean, time will tell. We've made this very UK-based. Sorry. Season three, we'll have uh, we'll have more Americans. We may have... We could have whatever we want. It's much easier to talk about what we know, though, isn't it? Like you're clearly a movie expert, being able to name a full zero movies. But uh, in me, not knowing what a pill is, is, but that's fine. Hannah, I believe we have another topic to move on to. Introduce it for us. We do, actually, and it's actually on the subject of cinema, which I should now say I'm a huge cinema fan, so I don't know why I couldn't remember any films. For me, this is a sad, sad topic that I'm going to usher us into because cinema is having a really, really crappy time as streaming just continues to kind of like chomp away at it. It felt for a minute that we were going to get things back on track. We had James Bond. We had Spider-Man. Top Gun. I didn't see, I only saw one of those, James Bond. I should see the rest. Um, But it does now sit in a different stage where things just aren't going quite as well. And Cineworld went bankrupt, which you wrote about, which just sad times for cinema. Yeah, second biggest cinema vendor in the world, with presence across most of the world, actually. Biggest in the UK and the US, obviously. Um, Just going down the drain after a very difficult couple of years. Uh, Everyone knew the pandemic was hard. Obviously, most of the income dried up during that time. Uh, Then the slate of movies that were supposed to come out, you know, you can say what you want about them. I don't think they were up to the quality of what would have came with the no pandemic. I think people got into the habit of not going to the cinema. And this takes us on to Disney Plus, which obviously started streaming a lot of its own movies on Disney Plus. Um, you know, I think the first one, or maybe the second one, I think Mulan was the first one. And then it was uh, Marvel's Black Widow. Uh, which mm. we don't know the economics on them yet. We don't know if the payoff to the same extent of a box office. And, you know, I think Mulan had like a $20 fee. Maybe Black Widow did as well. Yeah, they were quite early because I feel like I remember it was when people just got Disney Plus and then, yeah, they did have like a premiere fee. 
They were they were quite a lot. I can't remember what the window was that you got them for. It just it's closed. It's closed the theatrical release date right down. I think the theatrical window kind of pre-pandemic was about 16 weeks on average and now it's around 45 days I read online so that is crazy difference and it's just really cannibalizing on that excitement and buzz around a film that I just think is just seems to be really harming cinema the Concerning thing I think I feel like with this is that the streamers, because they're now the studios, the studios have got their own distribution, they they can just do what they want. So it's like they've got no, if it's in their best interests, then they can do what they want with the release and it's no longer kind of in the interest of cinema as much. I don't know. I don't know. That's A big part of this will be how well these services monetize through advertising. They'd much rather get receipts at cinema Obviously, that's easy direct money. Cinemas get a slice. Not a very big slice, I might add, as well. Obviously, the your popcorn and your drinks are exorbitant just because that's how they make their earnings, which is quite sad, actually. But, uh, yeah, Disney pulling out of cinemas, in some degree, to some extent, has really hindered them. But I will say, as well, that the slate of stuff that Disney has been putting out these last few years, I think, is of lower quality than what they had before. So with Disney, we have all these live-action remakes of films we watched as children, inferior versions of those movies that drive us back to watch the originals, which, again, is fairly profitable for them anyway. We have these Marvel movies, which, uh, you know, they are getting much more interesting and diverse, which is good and should have been that way in the first place. But I feel like that whole universe wrapped up a few years ago and these characters should have probably been in the original mix. Uh, Now, I'm fatigued from it. That doesn't necessarily speak for everyone. But I think it's running out of steam. Um, They've obviously been releasing on Disney Plus with a mix of TV shows and movies as well. Um, But I don't think that's ever going to be as big as it was, um, regardless of what they do. So for cinema, you know, we're like, what's next? Now, I did have a really good cinema experience this year. Actually, I had two. I haven't been many times. I saw James Bond, uh, I just played a game of Five of Sides, was disgustingly sweaty, and then ran to catch a viewing of No Time to Die 100 yards away in my sports gear at one o'clock on a Saturday by myself in an empty cinema on a leather chair with uh, a can of gin that I brought in as well, and it was the best experience I've ever had. Uh, It wasn't the best experience for the cinema, I don't think they made much of a profit out of me in that empty room, but I had a great time. Uh, the second time was more in the spirit of cinema, and it was a. And Hannah, I need you to help me with this. It was a everything everywhere all the time. Is that right? Oh yeah, I saw that. Wasn't it yeah. just amazing? It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I found it one of the best cinematic experiences of my entire life. The entire audience were up and down, screaming, gasping, shocked. Wow. I'm now questioning whether we're talking about the same film because that's not how I remember the audience reaction. Was it a Danish coming-of-age film about a girl who couldn't decide if she wanted to be by herself or in a long-term relationship? That's not it, is it? No, it's not. Uh, it was. I'm just going to just, 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 just let me bring this up because it, it sort of does a lot of things at once, okay? 
And okay, so you haven't seen this, so I do not want to spoil it. <laughs> but everything, everywhere, all at once is a 2022 American absurdist comedy drama film. That's the Wikipedia page, okay? And it is Michelle Yeoh's basically main character, and she can travel between multiverses, different versions of herself. And it turns out she's the worst version of herself, and that's her superpower. And there's all sorts of maniacal nonsense. It's a family drama. It is one of the most beautifully cinematically shot things ever. You know, it has that sort of kung fu flair, uh, <laughs> except it's mostly dancing. And there's also like a huge butt plug. Yeah, I won't go into it. Um, shocking. I was talking about the worst person in the world, the Nordic coming of age. Well, less coming of age, more like, oh, I'm turning 30. Ah. That's never a good story. Anyway. My point was, I didn't want to just speak about a movie. Uh, now, whilst I'm one of the worst people for being really lazy and not going out, knowing that a movie's going to be on cinema, eh, on my streaming services in 45 days, or on one of those other services I use in a much shorter period, bad me, sorry, life's hard. Um, it's hard to get yourself out to the cinema right now, post-pandemic, you know, like it's just such a pain. I think we're a little bit tired and worn down as well, and going to the cinema feels like a chore. Even if it isn't necessarily a chore, it feels like that to me in the moment on a Friday night. I love going to cinema, but I do live really near to one, so that makes things easier. I do, now after you say that you're not really helping cinema by bringing gin in, I realised that I'm terrible because my hack for the cinema is to get a cheap bottle of wine, bring plastic cups and crisps and a pot of dip, which is always weird to everyone around me. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Neither do the cinemas. Um, some of them have started selling alcohol and tried to become locations. City World in Glasgow, once the world's tallest cinema, I might add. For some reason, I don't know why it had to be tall, but there you go. Um, anyway, cinema, come on, make it back. Uh, the reason we're talking about cinema is because marketers really love that screen. They love putting the beautiful big films on it, you know, the cinematic ones that really sort of set the tone for what a brand is. You can't really do that on a lot of different mediums. You know, you can pull it off of TV mostly a bit. Everyone has a 40-inch TV screen at this point. It's surround sound. But to get your brand in that cinema place is just it's just unmatched. Um, and that's under threat of disappearing or of not being at a scale worth buying in, um, which is a shame. But... Um, we have to move on. We have to move on, Hannah. So we are kind of running out of time because apparently we just waffle a lot, which is a terrible mm-hmm. trait as two podcasters. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to quickly push us on to two last topics. I kind of drew out that sports rights with the streamers has been particularly juicy this year just because they've all been battling over crazy sports rights and now you've got really good competitions split up on loads of different platforms and also stuff like major league soccer is on apple tv that's just like exclusively there amazon's got friday night football it's all just like people don't don't have all of these services and it's quite confusing for a sports fan to no longer have everything in one place and now it feels like the streamers are just like 
and a mad battle to just snap up all the little bits of rights that they can. And it's just becoming quite a complicated picture. That's what I thought of this year, anyway. Yeah, it's a headache. Uh, I recently found out how big uh, the cricket is in India via Disney Plus's Is It Star? Um, it's like insanely big. That's almost, I think it's just so big on the streaming front as well. I was talking to a top marketer from Pernod Ricard at India about that recently. Um, and that's changing her, her job just up front. You know, so many of those viewers are now addressable and they have to just rethink how they approach things. But um, yeah, it's a, I'm a football man. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of sports fans don't tend to keep a lot of sports. You know, it's hard to keep track of all of them. A sport is everyone's biggest passion to someone. That doesn't really make sense, but what I'm saying is like, as small as an event seems, it's someone's biggest passion in life. And it's all about just working out the scale of the event versus what you're paying and the potential to grow the sport with the with the league. And uh, these streamers, uh, again, maybe they're just buying these things up to have something to talk about in their marketing. You know, maybe, for instance, Amazon's always been able to monetize tennis through selling tennis rackets. <laughs> And, but the talk always goes back to Netflix because I think it's most not it's just the easiest sort of streamer to talk about. I think everyone knows what Netflix is and what it does, and uh, they've always avoided live sports, haven't they, Hannah? Yeah, except this year when they put a bid in for Formula One US rights, which yeah. they lost to Disney. But it was like this interesting. I remember writing about it for our sports deep dive. It was this interesting thing where obviously they have built the Formula One audience in the US through a documentary. Mm. So why not really dig into that and really milk that and get the rights? But for their Netflix, it was like they've done it the wrong way around because they made the sport so popular, they drove up the price of the rights and suddenly they couldn't afford the rights. So it's like Netflix could work out live sports, but it can't do it based on what it's made pop. It has to go in for some cheap rights, build a documentary around it, and then launch it all together or something. I don't know. It was like, it was such a simple thing of like, they accidentally priced themselves out of the bid because they made the sport great. I don't see what they're trying to do here. You're mm. either a live channel or you're not. You can't have free things live per month, really. Like, and I know there's a Chris Rock gig going live soon on Netflix um, which is just a huge departure from them. Now they obviously have faith in the power of the dashboard and the recommendation engine it will be interesting to see how many people they can get into a live event at one time uh, are the, the Formula 1 thing now obviously they take a lot of different gambles on different shows and documentaries uh, maybe they didn't know they had a Formula 1 audience until that really kicked off I didn't know I was a Formula One fan until I watched that. Can't remember the name of the show. Everyone knows which one we're talking about. Drive to Survive. I think I think Drive to Survive was better than the Formula One itself. And so maybe buying the rights was that have actually been a huge mistake. Maybe they saw some synergy there and wanted to experiment with live streaming on an audience they know will consume it. Uh, but I don't see live as the future of Netflix. I don't see gaming as the future of Netflix. I see the future of Netflix as a very like a sort of less prominent ad funded business that has international and peeling content. You know, it's a bit smaller scale than it's been in the past, but it's a sustainable global business that no one else is really matching. Um, 
I, don't, I just see it. I see it shrinking, but I do see it as having the potential to be the best ad-funded streamer out there in seven years' time, not seven months. Wow. There you go. I don't even know where to go on from that, John. So, sorry, are we even meant to be talking about Netflix again? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, All roads lead back there. You can't, you can't talk about streaming and not talk about the world's biggest streamer. So there you go. And what's the last topic? Last topic. Let's do it. The last topic. Okay. We are going to <laughs> just whiz through the fact that I just said the biggest streamer in the world is Netflix, but the world's biggest ridiculous conglomerate of bloody entertainment it happened this year when AT&T and Discovery merged and they birthed Warner Bros. Discovery. They are like huge media empires, which is just sometimes too much to think about. And they also both had their own streamers, HBO Max and Discovery Plus, which will now be merged into one next year. I'm unsure of how it's going to work because I've watched a lot of lifestyle discovery content and I've watched a lot of HBO premium shows. I can't, I don't know how it will sit side by side, but time will tell. But yeah, I thought that was a big... For the be- for either to their benefit or their detriment, they have everything a cable bundle needs. But uh, I think... I've been thinking this whole time, and ironically, you've been hearing things behind the scenes about execs fighting the different departments warring for control. Uh, as the new owners of HBO Max, they actually have the plot for one of HBO's next big shows. If they actually self-refer to their own merger and write about it, it would be remarkable. They could do like a Game of Thrones succession kind of twist. I think that would do really well. I, I think we should write that. Listen. We, we should write that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so, so that's a $43 billion merger, uh, which is, is that $1 billion less than Twitter? Is that right? $44 billion? <laughs> I think AT&T and Discovery are slightly more valuable than Twitter, but there you go. Especially now, after your man has uh, demolished it. But that's, that's besides the point. Yeah, we'll be looking at this a lot next year. I think it was kind of announced earlier this year, but we've heard nothing real concrete about its merge streamer right now so i feel like that might be a big one for next year if we get anything through on that i'm again just intrigued to see what that looks like they have a real tough time communicating what they are yeah shark week succession whatever the dc universe is doing at any moment which changes with the wind it's now the rock Dwayne the rock johnson black adam but that seems to be wrapping up to, who knows? I'll say this, right. We had uh, John Cena and Peacemaker, the James Gunn-directed TV show. It's a superhero thing, Hannah, but it was very good. It was about toxic masculinity, and it was funny. There you go. They did That's that. That's what they've got. I've done. Actually, I know this is running on, but I have a grievance. Uh, obviously, the shelved Batgirl. Now everyone's like, uh, who cares? They shot Batgirl on the streets of the Drums Glasgow office, uh, like next door to my house. And uh, they shot the streets for weeks and weeks, shot the whole bloody film, covered it in graffiti and snow. They decided that Glasgow was the perfect spot for the dystopic Gotham crime-ridden hellhole. And then they didn't release the thing, uh, which is a big gut punch, to be honest. Uh, So I'm not happy with them. Release the Batgirl cut. There you go. That was the real crime of them shelving 
a massive, a massive <laughs> film. Yeah. Well, <sighs> thank you, John, for sharing that little anecdote. Good yes. place to end. Yes, that is a good place to end. Um, shall we say thank you to our listeners, all of them who are still with us? Yeah, I don't know how many dropped out ahead of the <laughs> Batgirl Glasgow drum office anecdote, but we'll see in the stats. <laughs> Always measuring. Well, thanks for listening to Series 2 of the Drum TV Talks. Me and John have obviously had a blast. I particularly loved chatting to the Love Island sponsors, and I know John loved chatting to Sky about influencer marketing, his favourite area of marketing. I just love influencers. I love them. You can catch up on past episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple and Acast, as well as on the Drums' fresh, dedicated podcast hub. Check it out there. But also, final plug, hit subscribe. Just subscribe now. Thanks again. And thanks to you, John. It's been fun. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And we will be back for season three in March, if all things go well, where we will talk about Batgirl again. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to The Drums TV Talks. We're available on all good podcast providers and even a devoted audio hub on thedrum.com, which I hope you visit every single day. Please and thank you. Don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>